With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Andy Campbell Football Show. And this is episode number 138. The show is uh, live on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter, Ace Podcast Nation. Of course, you're home to many great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts and more. So uh, please do give us a follow on social media. Subscribe to that YouTube channel. Still the most direct way to support us. Click the bell for notifications and uh, you'll get a little text every time we go live or we produce uh, or release new shows and uh, you can also keep up to date with uh, upcoming guests and more on the social media pages and if you want to keep it just football and just the ac show you can uh, follow at ac footy show on all social media platforms and uh, if you prefer your podcasts in audio uh, audio forms 
words are all over the place. You can get them uh, at your favourite radio or podcast platform. Just search Ace Podcast Nation and there's over 430 shows on a variety of subjects with some uh, incredible guests, some incredible co-hosts and alike. But uh, just as we wait for the latecomers on the various platforms, um, a big thank you to Black Diamond Sports as ever for their support around the show and the channel. Uh, Black Diamond Sports is a global sports agency representing sports stars from around the world. For more information, you can visit their social media pages as well as their website, the links to which are in the description below, as well as the closing credits at the end of the show. As ever, today's show is sponsored by Bespoke Financial and Darren Ralston. And uh, Darren Ralston is giving away a free will worth £140 at the moment with any new policy which is taken out. So please do check him out, give him a call and don't miss out on what is an incredible offer. He's looked after Andy with various policies over the years, including the critical illness and the injury cover. They are truly top of their field and provide award-winning service. We are proud to partner with such a top-class brand and uh, I th we thank them for sponsoring the show massively. And uh, as I say, uh, the award-winning service, not just a catchy tagline, they legitimately have won awards uh, for, the, for their customer service. And uh, as we come out of the COVID era, hopefully now, Hopefully, if you can, uh, you give them a ring, they can uh, find a, a service or some cover which will help you and your families out. And that's what we're about, is helping the people. But uh, first and foremost, introducing my co-host. He is the goal collector, the fox in the box, still the QPR dream killer, and still the king of the Millennium Stadium. David Jones' favourite son, ex-Cardiff City, Middlesbrough striker, Mr. Andy Campbell, welcome, my friend. I need to put my teeth in. <laughs> Good evening. Yeah, no, really excited for this one. Um, I think just for today, um, I'll happily take away the goal collector because um, our guest certainly does know where the net is, by the way. I did know where the net is. Um, I'm sure if you give him an opportunity now, he would uh, certainly put the ball away. Um, really excited about, um, about our guest's um, career and digging deep because uh, I think I've just got a feeling it's going to be a, it's going to be a cracker. Uh, and thanks for everyone by the lovely comments, by the way. Gav, I love you too. What a lovely comment. You know what I mean? Like it just, you know, he's got some lovely comments. You know what I mean? And by the way, if I've got a few bags under my eyes, I do apologise. I've not had a lot of sleep over the last couple of days. So, if I look tired, just blame it on some, some, some. It's uh, blame on kids. Don't have kids. Blaming on the sunshine, hmm. as they say. But uh, yeah, very excited to welcome tonight's guest. He's uh, ex-Brentford, Reading, Gillingham, Sheffield United, Reading, Stoke City, and Millwall striker. Carl Asaba, welcome, Carl. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm all good, thanks. Nice to nice to speak to you both. Fab to come on, mate. I really, obviously, really appreciate it. Um, you know, what I mean, and and when we're talking about goals, you know what I mean. Um, I think people underestimate, Carl, don't they? How um, how difficult that job is. You know, when when people say goal scorer, natural goal scorer. You know what I mean. And people who know where the net is, it's it's a skill in itself, right? Yeah, it's um, it's something. You know, everyone would like to score goals. They they don't pay the top money for the transfer fees for goal scorers for no reason. It's an important part of the game, and you know you need your teammates. But it's very very nice that you, when you can find the net. Totally agree. Couldn't have put it better, Craig. You don't have to be vicious. That's horrible, horrible comments. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's building Carl up to like, but putting me down a little bit. Thank God. Just leave it on. <laughs> yeah, just leave it on for the rest of the show. Demoted. <laughs> demoted um okay got loads to talk about and of course uh carl's got an incredible career to go through and uh, 
and re-level a little bit as well. But um, there's some stuff that I'd like to talk about outside of that as well. As usual, mate, I've got plenty to say. But um, as, let's start. As, as, as always. As always. Yes. As always. And everyone will disagree with me. But that, I think it's just because they like you. Because you scored that goal. If you, were, if you, if you weren't... <laughs> If you hadn't scored that goal, they'd all agree with me. That's what I reckon. Anyway, that's okay. what I that's what I tell myself when I go to sleep crying every night. But um, <laughs> no, um, so we're going to start off, Carl. Magnificent seven, which is uh, just seven quick fire questions, uh, so the viewers can get a get a get to know you, get to know your tastes and uh, and whatnot. Get a bit of conversation starting. Let's go. Okay, Carlos Sabas, Magnificent Seven. Always nice and easy to start. Messi or Ronaldo? Ronaldo. All day long. I agree, by the way, that uh, Messi gets picked the majority of the time. But oh, I think Ronaldo. He can play. Yeah, he's all, he's all yeah. right, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? He's better than average, isn't he? Better than average. Yeah. He's like a second-rate Cristiano Ronaldo. I'll give him that much. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, he's all right, isn't he? Uh, favorite TV show? Simpsons. Oh, I love that. We haven't oh, had that one. Shot. We haven't had that one. Have we we? Like that one. It. No, I don't think we have. I like that. This is that's up there in my in my top top selections. Uh, Gillingham or Sheffield United? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, he's horrible. I'm not, I'm not answering that. You did. <laughs> I love them both. They both, they both um, were great times for me. And Carl, it's it's that, it's, that, it's that smug look on his face because he knew he knew that was coming. Jeez. To be fair, there's a few Dolly, Dolly <laughs> he's, he's you in with a couple of nice easy ones and then it's like, boof. But you know what? That is the first time that anyone's refused to, to pick one. I, when well, I've given I've, it, there's going to be a few more refusals. I refuse. Yeah. Excellent. I refuse. I refuse. Because um, I think uh, like what I tend to do is I'll pick the two clubs which the person spent the most time at, generally. Unless there's um, you know, there's a bit of sort of rivalry or hostility between two particular clubs, but no, I respect it, mate. I respect it. <laughs> just I'm just nosy. That's what it comes down to. Is I just want to, I just just want to cause trouble. And I can, yeah, but the thing, the thing, the it. thing, if you'd have picked one of the other there, Carl, is it gives us an avenue then to go down and go, oh, why, why, yeah, why? You know, all, the, all the teams that paid paid you to play for them. You know, how can you actually turn around and say, oh, I didn't like them? They, they were good enough to bring you to their team. Yeah, very really bad questions. Really I mean, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be that you don't like either one. It just it could be like you could base it on which type. Like, did you prefer your time at one club, or you did better for one club, or maybe you just hated one? Yeah, club well, you, you need to specify this in the small print. Yeah. Next time, so. <laughs> the thing is, what happens is if I leave it really vague, is people can make their own decision. Then, so some people will go on. Oh yeah, I scored. You know, loads of goals for that club, so I'll go with that one. Or I had a particular moment, or I fell out with a manager, Andy, at a particular club, which can often, you know, <laughs> that can sour stuff. You, do you know, know what? sometimes I wouldn't. I'd never. Do you know what? I'd, I wouldn't know anyone. I wouldn't know anyone. No, <laughs> that's it, mate. But um, okay, uh, most hostile atmosphere you ever played a game of football in? Uh, Millwall away. When I'm not even sure who I was playing for. Um, Millwall away was hostile. Uh, Chelsea, Chelsea away was quite hostile in the cup quarterfinal. Um, but never felt endangered or anything like that. It's just they didn't want us to win, and they really didn't let us know. Carl, was was Millwall away any hostile than Millwall at home playing for Millwall? No, 
No, even driving through Millwall was hostile. Okay. Um, it was tough. They're very passionate people, and you know, they, they, for me, I think they're there to to vent and to to just enjoy something and to win. And I totally agree. Listen, I've, I've said the same thing. That's, that's, it's, the, it's the most hostile place and most intimidating place that I played football again, again yeah. football. And I and, and I was lucky enough to, um, to, well, probably not to play at the old den. You know what I mean? That the old den looked yeah. a vicious place to play, but the new den was. Yeah. It's just people can move around and be spotted around the, the around the ground. But it's it's yeah, it's, um, it's an intimidating place to play. But it's Very it, much, uh, it keeps you going. No, great answer. Yeah. Do you ever play uh, Ninian Park, Carl? Mm, yeah, I did. I did. I'm sure I did because. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you I did. did. I'm sure you did. Yeah, I did. Mm. Well, Guys. I think you were getting promotion or something, and so they were happy. They were a happy bunch when we went. Yeah, there. They, they were happy <laughs> then. Yeah. yeah. Guy says uh, Epton Park was hostile. And uh, Ninian Park was good back in the day as well. There. Yeah, Upton Park was. Upton, Upton Park had its had its had its moments. Had its moments, like, didn't it? Like yeah. Carl said, there. You know what I mean? Fans are passionate, but even more probably hostile when the teams aren't doing very well. And that's the, yeah. that's probably what makes them more hostile. You know. And also, when when they played at West Ham, yeah. West Ham, they they were they were the bigger team, the better team, and I don't think they're as hostile when they're expecting a win and their players, if they they play to their level, and we play to our level. They, they expect to win, and I, I just think you know when I went to Upton Park, we were the you know I was playing for Reading, and they were expected to beat, isn't it? It wasn't that hostile. And yeah. you know. uh, next question is best manager you ever played for. I've been really lucky. I, I, I had some great managers. Um, didn't get them all sacked, which is a bonus. Uh, <laughs> probably, well, it's Pulis. Tony Pulis is. Yeah, I'll not hear a bad word said about him. What's, um, so, what's so special then, Carl? Because he obviously he was at Middlesbrough not so long ago, and uh, yeah. I heard uh, quite a few comments when he was manager about his style of play and things. Do you think? Do you think that's a bit unjust with the stick that he gets in his style of football? Well, he gets he gets results. It's it depends what where the club is and what what periods that the club's in. For when I was with him at Gillingham, he was he was pushing on for promotion and. He gave everyone the belief. He, he, you know, he picked a team where it, it was a team mentality. He didn't pick individuals who were tens, and the, all of us were pretty similar level, and we bonded. And he just gave total belief. Then, when I played for him again at Stoke, he just needed to make it solid, and he got one or two big players in the Adiak Mbais who would take it to the next level. He knew what was needed to to build and turn an unstable ship into, you know, it ground the ship and then it'll, it'll slowly take it onwards and, and never be easy to beat. Um, Middlesbrough, you know, you, it's, it's in my family, you know, half my family are from up there. I, I know a lot of the inside stuff at Middlesbrough and it's, they, they, they there's like, um, they want the success really quick. You know, I know it hasn't think happened for a while. Yeah, I think for me personally, I think it's unfair because I, when when a manager gets a, gets a, gets a job size sometimes, and Carl, that you obviously you know yourself that he can only work with players that he's he's got at his disposal, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I find that the players that he, he took over at Middlesbrough, they weren't his players. They didn't really yeah. play the, his style of football. So he's he's trying to develop a philosophy, a style of football to work with players who don't want to do that. So he's fighting a losing battle straight away because the players don't buy into it. 
Yeah. The players don't buy into it. The fans don't buy into it. So how do we? Uh, how do we ever? How are you ever going to know if a manager is going to be successful unless he's given a time and B players to yeah. fulfil what, well, what he wants to play? How long would you say? I'd say it's two to three transfer windows for a, for a manager, unless he's lucky. Um, to like, I, I follow Arsenal, and I think Arteta still needs another two or three transfer windows to get the people who buy into him and who actually play how he wants, you know, and it, you've got to give them time or otherwise you're going to be in transition for six seasons, seven seasons until the manager lucks into success because he won't have built it himself. Mm, totally agree, totally agree. And, 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 and Sai's had this, we've had this debate quite a long time, haven't we, Sai? And we spoke about ways that could improve football and football management and give, give managers that little bit of a cushion that, Managers have a window. Clubs can't sack managers. Clubs have to yeah, hire in the I summer. Think that's brilliant. So summer, summer, summer. And uh, do you know what? Yeah. I, I, I listened the first time, side. So I mean, just, we disagreed, but the more I thought about it, I know this pains me to say, by the way, but the more I, I agreed with Sai and I thought it was a really good idea that that managers need that option of two transfer windows, the summer mm-hmm. to work with players pre-season, the, 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 the January window, which gives them a chance to to excel and if you give the, if you give them a full twelve months minimum twelve months, then you'll see people turning things around. And, and even if you get relegated, teams might see something in you which they want to see in the in the next yeah. division to get promoted again. So give you that opportunity again. I think again. that's brilliant. If you if you give yeah. them longer, then it's not going to be. I think the average age of signings will come down because yeah. if a lower league manager knows he's got you know twenty four months, he can he can afford to play the youngster who might not be ready. Well, yeah, totally he agree. knows if that, if that man makes a, a mistake and costs me a goal, I'm not going to get sacked. Actually, I'll buy the 30-year-old who's been there, done it. He's not, you know, I think it'll improve football and opportunities for, for younger lads. If a manager, you know, why are they, they appointing the manager? Because he's good. So, yeah, in, totally after six weeks, he's not bad. You know, so stick with them. 100%. I totally agree. I think this is amazing because it's it's... It's, 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 it's going to help. We've Sai said it. It's going to help with the Wayne Roosers world. You know what I mean? Who won't worry about getting relegated because he's got he's got he's got some time on his hands because he's took over a, a sinking ship and he's been sinking for two years. So he's had to stabilise it now to stabilise it without getting time because you don't want to look over your shoulder and see a Steve McLaren as your director of football thinking he wants your job or you're thinking yeah. you're the next person to get the, to get the sack. It's, it, to read all these stories is listen. It sells and, and I get that and I get people need publicity, but it can have a negative impact on. People, reputations, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. I, I don't like it. I want people to get, be given a chance to excel and, yeah. and see if they're any good. Right. 100%. Um, just lastly on Tony Pullis, by the way, as well, I wanted to say, um, when you look at what he did at Stoke, he established them as a Premier League football club. I think he even got them into Europe uh, at least mm-hmm. once. But also, look at what's happened to them since they got rid of him because of the supposed perception of style of play and things like this. Like... They're back in the championship now and not looking anytime soon like they're going to be going back up. Now, I'm not saying that's solely down to Tony Pulis, but I think what it does do is show what a good job he did to not just get him to the Premier League, but to keep him there season after season after season. And yeah, I think bef- the facilities he had, you know, the, yeah. the people who are there now, that club, the facilities are insane. You go there, you play, you're training on billiards tables you've got the fitness studio you've got everything you need when we were there we were getting changed at the ground we're driving here the pitch was a quagmire he actually transferred not him alone 
but you know, with great um, administration upstairs and support upstairs, they transferred the club. Mm. The moment people start talking about style and forget what got you there, you know, you're not Arsenal, you're not Real Madrid. You're out to win matches. You've got some of the most totally fans in the country who, if you want to just play 50-50 tackles, they'll cheer you through the tackles. They don't need mm. tippy-tappy football. Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm really upset for Stoke because they have everything you need to, to maintain in the Premiership. And, you know, I think I couldn't, I'd be, well, could see Pew going back there. They could do mm. a lot worse, and they have done yeah. a lot worse. Mm. I totally agree. Well, I think it's a final point for me on Tony that Sheffield Wednesday, look at Sheffield Wednesday, the grass is no greener. He, he, go, he goes there, he's been given, what, eight games, he loses his job to bring in a manager or two on the way, and they still go down. So who's the daftest? Yeah. Just, well, left up, you know, he got he got sacked because he told the chairman exactly what needed yeah. to change. But, you know? but that club, that, but that club's needed that car for probably two or three seasons. And 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 people don't like honesty, and people don't like people that, that to be told how to run things and how the, the the foundations need to be brought in from bottom to top. And that club is a mess, and it's been proven. So Tony's points have just yeah. proved themselves. Oh, unfortunately, oh, fortunately, it depends yeah, which way so. you look at it. Yeah, definitely right. Let's finish this magnificent seven. Uh, angriest teammate. Well, the loveliest teammate and the angriest can be Addy. I've seen Addy switch. Has I've he? seen Addy Loveliest man in the world. I've seen, I've seen those eyes glaze over. <laughs> and I've seen him pick someone up in the tunnel. And, you know, it was like WWF. It was yeah, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked to be on the, on the end of that, by the way. No, he was a, he was but a it was man. completely was justified. But, yeah, he's the one, you know, you know, half of the kit women could beat me up. It's not like that, but he's the one person <laughs> I wouldn't want to cross in a bad way. Um, and yeah, it's it's channeling the anger. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. And um, the final question is: uh, it's, it doesn't have to be football related. It is, uh, in your opinion, who is the greatest Englishman who's ever lived? Jesus, um, such a broad question that isn't it. Yeah, I have no idea. I can't. I'm. I'm not. I'm not qualified to give that. <laughs> I like it. I would. I would. I. I would personally go with uh, someone who could. You'd go with off. me. You'd probably go with me. Yeah, Andy Campbell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy Campbell. Not ben it. Turner. Not it. <laughs> ben, ben, ben Turner's right up there. I think. <laughs> Anthony Gerrard. All these heroes, but yeah, no, I think um, it's a difficult question, isn't it? It's this, and you get a different answer every time it's asked because yeah, everyone is in, oh, everyone's oh, no, inspired by me. different stuff. Oh yeah, you just get people that just refuse to answer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then, of course, the obvious answer, the right answer, should I say, is Dave Jones. But you know, Andy doesn't like it if we say that, so we've got to keep it quiet. Right. No so just check my Twitter. Indeed. Still there, doesn't delete tweets. No, no chance. Honest. Um, you put it out so, there. Yeah, once it's on the internet, mate, it stays on the internet. It's yep. just the, the way it is. That's what I tell my kids. So um, what we're going to do next is uh, tell me why. So in this little segment, uh, Carl, I ask you and Andy two questions. And uh, basically, you've got 60 seconds to discuss the subject or the question. Um, would you like to go first or second? Second. <laughs> Straight okay. there, isn't he? Straight there. So, 
I don't and know Campbell. them, by the way. Just, I don't know them. Just, just don't, yeah, Andy just doesn't this. know uh, what's know. coming. So, um, we've obviously we've talked about Cavani a lot on the Friday show recently after the European Games. He scored a lot of goals recently. Uh, it was announced a couple of hours ago that he signed on for another year at United. I think that was kind of rumoured over the last couple of weeks. Um, what I want to know, though, um, obviously we've talked about how good he is and the reasons why he's good. I want you to tell me about the impact and why it's a good thing for the players like Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, whoever, all the youth you know, the strikers, and uh, just why... Uh, him staying for that extra year is going to make a difference, or will it make a difference, in your opinion? Uh, so, Andy, your 60 seconds starts now. I don't think it will make a difference in terms of making them, you know what I mean, any better players than what they are. I think it's made the difference already. You know what I mean? I look at Greenwood, I look at his, his, his performance levels, the way that he's, he's turned into a into a proper player overnight, you know what I mean, from probably the time to, to, to turn the start of the season. I look at Rashford, yes, he's missed games with injury, Martial missed games with injury, but imagine having him as your focal point, he takes the pressure off you, he leads the line really well, and all the big games that Oli plays and Oli picks the team with, he always starts with him. You know, when you look at the game yesterday against Villa, it wasn't a big game, so he puts him on the bench, he brings him on, but he still has an impact. Roma games, he starts him because he knows he's a big game player, and when you've got a big game player like that, and I can only compare him to probably players that I played with so and I'm on about like a Ravinelli type of player or a Boxes type of player that, that these kind of players who have a bigger impact within the whole team you know what I mean forget about themselves and they're very unselfish you know what I mean that that, that yes they're the focal point but it, it leaves gaps for everybody else and I see so many gaps for, for, for Greenwood for Rashford for Martial for Fernandez, and all these players who, have, who are having optimal performances week in week out seconds, because of him yeah I think um, I think long term it could be part of the reason why Greenwood ends up being a central striker or certainly helps him become a central striker because he's already got the finishing side of things. But uh, let's see what our guest Carl says. Uh, Carl, your 60 seconds starts now. Well, uh, obviously, he's to, to be at that level and that standard for so long, his off-the-field behaviour and his professionalism, I think, must be a, you know, an outstanding example for them to follow. You know, he's kept himself, his body at peak performance. Um, so they'll be able to see what his lifestyle is. And I think it's a great signing for off the field. You know, on the, on the pitch, he's great. But obviously, I think his performances are going to, the returns they'll get are going to diminish. But he still has a presence. But I think off field, they may have one eye on having him in the coaching staff. What a person to have about. You know, Ollie's got. A young team around him. I'm not sure, you know, if they're going to have a better striking coach who knows the individuals and knows the setup and can help improve it. He's been at all the big clubs, so you know, it could be a clever signing from Manu as a as a actual squad, a, a, a what is it, a member of staff away from the pitch. So yeah, I, I think it's more that. Yeah, I I think um, that could be a good shout. I think ultimately it's going to make those young players they like whether it's Greenwood or it's players in that youth team who train with the first team they're gonna they're gonna look at him particularly the form he's been in this year and they're gonna look at the things he does you know if they're if they want to improve they will at least and you know you can learn so much of someone like that he's a do we still think they're gonna buy in the level. summer though do we still think they're gonna no they're gonna I don't think to... they'll buy a striker now I think they'll they'll like I think I said on Friday I think 
the plan was always going to be either sign him for another year and then buy a centre-back and a right-winger and then next year then they'll go and buy a striker. That's just my opinion because yeah. I just think... I think this was Harry Kane's chance to sign for window. United. I think this is, this is yeah. his window, yeah. I, really, I, really I do think, think if he becomes it, available, it might, though, he, they might change their tune. I remember they got caught short when Lukaku left. I think they... Yeah. You know, he what a great backup. If they don't sign anyone... Cavani will do a job until the right person comes in the window, yes. you know. And instead of them, you know, being made to pay top dollar because everyone knows they're desperate for a striker, it takes That's the pressure off the great off the scouting. Yeah, I totally that's agree. And, 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 great point. If, and that's if people know that's you want that striker, well. and didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but that's important as well because we've got, we've got, we, we, I think we, sometimes we forget about Kobe, don't we? That it's hit teams. It's hit United the same as it's hit Norwich City, for example. Mm. You know what I mean? So I think we've got to put things into perspective that we. We think that money's available. Yes, it will be available because Man United is the biggest club in the world and they can find whatever they want to find if they want to find it. But when you've got somebody like that and if it's if it's not broke, why fix it? But if a player comes available like Harry, if he comes available after the summer and he's at a price which, which, which becomes appealing, then Man United will stop the yeah, And Cavani doesn't seem the sort of player if Kane signs and he's not playing every week, he's going to cause a fuss. He knows he's in the twilight of his career. He'll add when he's needed. You know, I think it's a it's a shrewd, easy sign. Not an easy, you know, it'll be expensive, but it, it does what they need. But I think that'll help Harry as well, though, guys, because I think personally for me, I think he plays a lot of football. I think he plays too much football, and I think he plays yeah. every minute of every game. And I think sometimes bring him out of the, bring him out for a game, and you get you get better performances the next game or the following week. And mm-hmm. look at Cavani, you know what I mean? He looks so fresh every time he's playing. He looks like he's. He's, he's, he's playing enough football, enough minutes. That's the, the medical department. The, 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 everybody within the football club has just got that spot on for him. And, you know what I mean? It's, and it's, it's progressing his career for longer and longer and longer. So if that can do with that for another player, then yeah. everyone's a winner. Right. Um, I just want to ask you a quick follow-up question, which has just sprung to mind. I read um, an article by Alan Shearer earlier on, um, and he was saying like almost that the traditional number nine is not necessarily a fashionable position at the moment and when you look at what Ronaldo and Messi have been able to achieve playing as that kind of striker who play you know a forward who plays on the right on the left just behind centrally wherever like people do like United and United fans seem keen to make Greenwood a number nine or make Rashford a number nine or Martial a number nine whereas he was basically saying they don't necessarily have to do that to to be, you know, to succeed and be successful with United. Would you agree with that? Obviously, you're both uh, forwards. That maybe the number nine position is not as important as what it once was. Uh, well, I think that's I think that's disrespectful because I think uh, I think if you're a Man City, you can play with a false nine because of the ability they've got between the four of them. Um, mm. I, I don't think I could personally play nine now. You know what I mean? I think in the, if, if football was, was, was as it is now, back when I played, I think I would have to sacrifice playing wide or playing yeah. deeper to running behind with, with pace because I, I don't think I have, the, I have the physical presence enough to, to be able to match some of the defenders in, in, in 2021. I think that, you know what I mean, they're all built really well, they're strong. Where, and I'm not saying the full-backs are weak, but I think my running in behind and being clever with runs I think would be different. But you, it's very rare you see one ball over the top beating teams. It's always... Balls into feet and, and and clever play, and I think I would have a personally. I think I would have had a bigger impact. Where you look at Carl, Carl was a far different player than I was. You know what I mean? So when you got when you got strength and you got pace, you, you can you can bolt them all together. Where it's it's I, I found that really difficult to do as a as a player. I always found a bigger player target man is my ideal partner. 
because mm. I could, I could, I got the joy out of doing what I would do, but I hated doing what what someone else would do. So when it was four five one, for example, and it, and it, I knew it was going to be a long day, I knew I wouldn't get many chances, I knew I'd be the battering ram, and then I'd come off after yeah. an hour, and then someone else would go and get a goal because I'd run people in the ground, for example. And it was frustrating. Mm. I just I didn't like it. Well, it's complete. I think it's completely down to the style of play of the team. Yeah. You know, there's no point having a central striker, you know, a battering ram, a Lukaku playing up the middle for Man City if they they can play tippy tappy around the midfield and go, you know, the central number nine striker is only needed for a certain style of football. Um, otherwise, you just need a technical person who can link it up. And Harry Kane is a is a central striker who's going to feed off crosses and get in behind. Um, yeah. He'll do great for for Man U. Um, but they play that football. They've got Martial and they've got the wingers who can provide crosses. If they, if you aren't playing with the wingers, then you know you don't need the central striker. It's all down to to the style of play. Yeah, I, 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 totally, I totally agree. I look, I look, I look at Man City and I look at the way that they play and um, the the players so, so intricate good. stuff. It's just yeah, it's just it's just it's just a joy to watch because why do you, you need know, the striker? You know, yeah, well, you wouldn't why know do you need who the striker, striker is. If you've got 10 and 11 people behind the ball who can pass the ball through you, you know, they, they, they're gaining an extra defender by not playing a striker. They're still good enough to go through you. Yeah, totally, I totally agree. And it, 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 it bamboozles, doesn't it? Because if you're watching the game and you're, and you're doing a report on Man City, who do you say players where? Because you see Ford on the left, then you see him behind on the right, then you see him playing left back, then you see him playing right wing, right back, and you've got Z- Zinchenko oh. bombing on, and you've got all these other players. I just think it's just, it's just phenomenal the way that he's... He's putting these methods into practice. It's just absolutely yeah. amazing. Players are that good. They play FIFA football. We all see the pass. We all see where it needs to go. But they can pass it as hard as they like, knowing the other person's going to control it and then yeah. pay them. You, you can't combat that. Arsenal try it. Trust us. It's trust as well, yeah. As a miss, a miss touch. Man City rarely miss touch. They're brilliant, brilliant players. Mm. And I yeah. hate... <laughs> go on. No, Man City, I, I, I despise them. But they're brilliant. As a club, I don't like them. But the players and what Pep have done, you know, it's the best I've seen. Yeah, they are yeah. top tier at the moment. It's, um, it's interesting and because, like, you've got... Well, by the way. We'll go to the next yeah. level as well. Yeah. What I find fascinating and one of the few things I like about football at the moment is you could have Man City playing with no number nine and looking superb, whereas then you've got a United across Manchester... The, the nearest team to them in the league, um, playing with a nine, and when they haven't got Cavani playing, they do not look the same side. So it's almost like they need that number nine to play off and to run in behind and and for the other players to get the space they need and to create the chances. But I think that's certain sides are saying it. You know, I mean, look at Liverpool. Tactically, isn't it? It's the way Liverpool, they play. Liverpool, when they were successful two years ago, when? they needed yeah. Firmino. Salah and Mane. They had to have all three in the same team to be successful. Yes. And then one, when one didn't play, they really struggled because the other two were starved of service. So then mm-hmm. they're getting them back. They're playing them when they're not, when they're not fit. They're playing them out of form and it, it just didn't work and, and the results didn't lie. You know what I mean? And, and sometimes you need that plan B. Man City got that plan B. They could play with the centre-forward in Aguero. They can play with Jesus. They could play with, with, with somebody else. They could go and buy Haaland, for example. But 
Mm. Why, 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 why fix it if it's not broken? Why, why? It's gonna, it'll, it'll affect them in a bigger way with the way that they play. For example, you know what I mean? They've got themselves in the Champions League final. They're going to win the league next week. They're, they've already mm. won a cup. It's just, it's a joy to watch. You know what I mean? I'm not a Man City fan, but I love watching good football. I used to love yeah. Barcelona. I used to love Bayern Munich. And the correlation is a manager, and the managers put these things in place. And when a manager leaves, the clubs change, change their philosophy of playing. Look at Barcelona. Barcelona don't pass as much as they used to. You know what I mean? They go a little bit more direct. And they haven't got a direct player to play, but the, the, the managers have different styles. Koeman's got a different style to Pep. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just so obvious. But that's just football. It's great. Yeah. Superb. So the second um, subject is at the other end of the Premier League table. Um, Sam Allardyce was relegated from the Premier League for the first time with West mm-hmm. Bromwich Albion. Great record. Um, Great record. And I would like to discuss, should they stick with him? Should he stick with them? Uh, and why and where maybe you see him going uh, if he's if he doesn't stay what they should do I'm just very interested in that obviously we watched West Brom a lot in the championship last year Andy um, Carl did you want to go second again or did you want to go first yeah, yeah. I'll go right. second now, uh, so Andy Sam Allardyce 60 seconds let's go uh, listen, I'm very lucky. Um, Sam's ex-manager of mine. I think he was absolutely he's an amazing man, manager as well. He's brought a lot of things to football. Um, I don't blame him for what's happened this year. Um, I think the, 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 the club made a bad decision in getting rid of the manager, in my personal opinion. Should have given him more time to, to put his philosophy in place. Sam got the job. I think Sam's done a half a decent job, to be honest, since he's gone in. He's, he's, he's brought in a centre-forward, a target man like Sam, Sam, Sam likes and needs. Um, he's had some big results. But, listen, it was just a, a, a jump too far. You know what I mean for me, and, and the Arsenal game yesterday was just the final nail in the coffin for the club. And um, I, for me personally, I'd stay if I was him because I think he needs to stay in football. I think if he leaves, he's, he's always going to be remembered for getting relegated because that's the first time it's happened. But he'll be, be remembered for getting West, Brom, uh, West Bromwich Albion back in the Premier League and keeping them in the Premier League in, 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 within a three-year contract, for example. So for me, the club needs him to stay, and he needs to stay within football because the football needs Sam Allardyce, regardless of what people think of him. I'm right about Tony Pulis. Sam's in the same mould, old school managers, as his way of playing, but football needs him. And that's 60 seconds, good shout mate. Um, and then uh, Carl, what are you saying? Uh, Sam Allardyce, 60 seconds, go. I think it's his decision. Um, if you're West Brom, why would you want to get rid of a manager who has steadied the ship and he's got, he knows the players, he knows what's needed, he knows how to get the best out of these players. So the easiest route for them to, well, the, the smallest chance is to stick with that manager. You bring in a new manager, you might want to make wholesale changes. Allardyce will know the pros and cons of each player and he, you know, he doesn't have to evaluate anymore. A new manager does. You stick with Sam, he knows how to get promoted, he knows how to get the best and he is desperate to end his career on a high. You put a highly motivated manager who, who knows the game inside out, you stick with him. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, um, so, I put, kids, uh, kids, put kids' comment up about Pereira because uh, Sam did an interview after the game yesterday about yes. the same question. So, I don't know if the viewers watched it. I don't know if you've seen the interviews, Carl, after. I haven't seen um, that. Sam got, and Sam got asked that question. He said, uh, will you be able to keep Pereira here next year? And he was very honest and I loved his honesty. He just turned around and he said, I've got no chance because he's a Premier League footballer and we're not in the Premier League anymore. And football deserves honesty. Football needs honesty. Needs honest men. Players need honest men. You know, I mean, as a footballer, all you want is honesty. You want your manager to be honest with you as a player because 
players want to play at the highest level they can. And somebody like Pereira has taken, and, and he ripped the championship championship up, by the way, two years ago. He was, on, he, he was I think he was Superb, my, my highlight of the week every week. He was player of the year. He was he scored goals. He was he's came from a foreign country and he's deserved this opportunity. And he's had a good season. So for me, Sam's honest. Sam Sam knows, you know what I mean? And and he knows he's gonna get a decent decent amount of money for him if he stays yeah, so it'll help his budget. Yeah, yeah, it'll help his rebuild. He'll be able to buy players from it because Sam knows that he can probably bring in three or four players with the money that he gets in for that one player and that's massive yeah. for Sam. It'll be huge for him. And it's a good incentive for the other players to see if you do well we're not going to stand in your way. You know, if the right bid comes in, you'll be able to move if it's right. And, you know, that's, that's great for all parties if he goes. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree, Carl. Yeah, 100%. Um, Reese makes an interesting point about um, Sam Allardyce. I'll just put that up because that kind of... Good. He said um, so th- they had a very poor transfer window and Big Sam was vocal about it. He might not be happy to stay and work with the board if that's the case. And I think well, he bought, you know, he, there he is that the lads, as well in there. He bought the Galatasaray centre forward. He bought Robert Snodgrass. Um, he brought in a goalkeeper from. He bought a goalkeeper from Liverpool. Um, listen, you know what I mean? He he probably needed six, seven, eight, nine players, but clubs were never going to be able to spend that kind of money with, with COVID around. You know what I mean? They've got no fans mm-hmm. coming in. You know what I mean? He's, yes, he wasn't happy. He's frustrated because he knew, he knew the positions he needed to fill. And he had to fill them with players who weren't his kind of, kind of players. And, you know, I mean, look at some of the goals that they've, they've given away. Overplaying at the back, that's not Sam Allardyce's team. You know what I mean? Making individual errors, letting goals in from set pieces. They're not Sam's kind of mistakes. You know what I mean? Sam's kind of mistakes are this team not playing very well. You know what I mean? Just not turning up, you know, as a one-off. But not some of the goals are given away. You know what I mean? Sam's not a... Not a less play out from the back, you know what I mean? He knows his limitations, you know what I mean? He's got a very good goalkeeping goal in, uh, in Sam Johnson, and you know what I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't want to be making mistakes, you know? So. I think Sam holds all the chips, personally. West Brom are a great team, and they're, they're a great club, but I think they need, they need Sam to stay for another year more than he needs to stay for a year. Totally I think their chances totally of going agree. back up are so much higher with him at the helm. Mm, totally agree. But when we're talking about him, him staying next year, what's the point? If he's out of contract this year, if it was a short-term deal, I'm not sure. Give him a two-year contract because that'll, that'll, his incentive then is to get in the Premier League and stay in the Premier League, I'm and sorry, that's yeah. the incentive. That's the incentive. Don't yeah. don't I'm say we'll then. give you a year's contract to get in the Premier League because yeah. Sam will leave then and he'll go yeah, yeah. somewhere else. He'll go to, to China. He'll go to America. He'll yeah. go somewhere else because that's the time incentive. Players, time players that aren't just going to get you promoted. Yeah. That you're going to stick your hat on. Who are going to keep yeah. your reputation in the Premiership intact. Yeah. Totally agree. Because yeah, as, as, play- as a as a as a as a player, if you if you're signing for a club on a three year contract and your manager's only there for a year, then who's coming in? Does a manager like you? Are you gonna are you gonna leave? You have to leave again. It, it's it's so unstable. Football's so unstable at times, and you, you need the consistency, you need the continuity. And yeah. clubs clubs need to understand this very very quickly. And I don't get it why they don't get it because it's a business, and that's how businesses work. Surely. Hundred percent, mate. I couldn't agree more. Um, what about that? Gaz asked, "Is Pereira a top four player? So is he good enough to play for the kind of? I say let's let's open it up to the top six clubs in the Premier League. Is he good enough to play for those? Has he done it in the? Has he done it against the top six teams? He did it against uh, Chelsea. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. He did it against Chelsea when they beat them five two. He's done it against Spurs. Um, I thought he did it against Arsenal yesterday. He did it against Arsenal yesterday. So lifting standards. Do I think he'll play week in, week out at a top six club? No. But listen, run about, run about a really, a very effective top player. Here's so a question, for me, I'd have him in my squad, 100%. Here's a question for you then, seeing as it was Gaz who asked the question. 
if West Ham cannot sign Jesse Lingard on a permanent deal or another loan, whatever it may be, would Pereira be a good replacement for Jesse Lingard? For Jesse? For West Ham? A million, one million percent. One million percent. And if, and if they're in Do you think he's well, better than Jesse Lingard? Um, he's probably more consistent, and I'm on about the last two years. Jesse's had a great yeah. six months, by the way, in any of his loan spell. If he can keep this going, he's going to go. To the, he's going to go to the Euros. He's going to make a name for himself. He's going to be back then to where Jesse needs to be. But listen, Pereira, I'm, I'm on about consistency. Pereira ripped the championship up in the first year. He's done it in the Premier League, so it wasn't just a fluke. You know, we run about players who can make that jump up. Run about the Ollie Watkins. Run about the Pereiras. Run about other players. These players have proved that they can do it. That the jump from the Premier League to, from the Championship to the Prem is massive, but still, players can still do it. Yeah, I agree, mate. Hundred um, percent. Okay, I want to uh, throw to a few questions we had earlier on. Uh, so I'm just going to scroll all the way back up to ten to eight. Um, so, That's a good one. Uh, so I got a couple I want to go to, and um, we had Dent Norwich asked, yeah. "Do you regret, uh, Kyle? Do you regret not playing for Norwich City?" Um, well, I never had the option to play for them, so I don't think you miss what you you know you never had. I enjoyed scoring a penalty in front of their cop with my first touch <laughs> coming on as well. That that was one of my highlights of my career. Great ground. Um, I went and watched the match at Carroll Road when I was about twelve. Everton. Kevin Sheedy played against Norwich and hit the crossbar. Really great game. Um, on like memorable moments. Uh, Joe Turpin Antonio says, uh, "Was your seven-minute hat trick for Brentford versus Shrewsbury the the best and most memorable hat trick that you've scored?" Um, no, it was a good. I enjoyed that left foot, right foot header. Um, wow! At Gay Meadow, at Gay Meadow, the old Gay Meadow. Um, but my most memorable hat trick was Boxing Day against my old season ticket holding Crystal Palace. You know, my whole family were there. Um, and it was against my team, and I, you know, I supported when when I was a kid, and it was it was a special one. Did you celebrate all three goals, Carl? Damn right. Two right. Fair, fair play to you. Fair play to you. Fair play to you. Um, Just on that on, on that one though, side, the seven minute hat trick one. So intrigue. So t talk us through the seven minutes. So obviously the first goal goes in, and then seven minutes later you got your three goals. So you know what I mean? Because sometimes it's like after you score, it's it's. It's getting yourself back in the game again, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, what I mean, trying to get your next touch or trying to do something, something good, and, and, and getting your second, second win. So I got destroyed, Andy. I got, I went into the dressing room thinking I was going to get big hugs and everything, and I'm not joking. Dave Webb almost reduced me to tears because I was running around going left foot, right foot, hair, that, you know, to the tune <laughs> I'm doing that, and he, and I mean this battered me he said this is this shows you're still a kid and you've got no sense because you could have got six or seven goals the whole world would have been asking for your autograph but you were happy with three you thought you'd done it you're flicking and tricking oh my i'm look, trying not to look at my teammates because they're you know i'm being i am close to whimpering and they're peeing themselves and you know a few years later i played away at burnley for gillingham robert taylor who was my strike partner in that match uh, for Brentford? He Great scored player. five. He was on every. I think he was on Good Morning Bloody Sunday. You know, <laughs> songs of praise, anything. He was on it because he was the ultimate professional. He got three, won his four. Got four, won his five. But that I learned a lot in that match. So um, 
it wasn't a, a memory of the Bulls in, in the, the room next door. Um, I've got the ball there, but the Shrewsbury hat trick is a painful hat trick. I like that. And you know, and, and you know what though? That's um, it's 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 great stories to have. That's great great memories to have though. You know what I mean? Because people think that 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 those memories are always positive memories. So to hear that that the memory was turned into a negative one by a, by a comment or by someone wanting well, not really negative. It, it was more constructive that look yeah. until, the, until the final minute, minute mm. the whistle goes you're there to mm. score goals so yeah, yeah. no matter what you've done for the previous 89 minutes you want to get the next goal and it, it did it taught me a lot that's a great great story great story and just on uh, just just on Taylor Taylor what a, what a strike partner what a, what a what a player to play I know I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about Gillian because we had um we had an ex-teammate of yours on um, a couple of weeks back, uh, Nicky Southall. Uh, oh, Nicky's, what a funny, what, what a funny, what a funny guy! What, the monkey what hanger that? from, from oh. Teesside Agro. Listen, listen, <laughs> the, 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 I've never, I've never, I've never laughed so much in, in on, a, on a show. He was just, he was, he had me in creases by the end of it. I just couldn't. He glued his hubcaps on because yep, he, he was sick of them being stolen. And he Does had a punch on the M1. What a boy. Does that one. Mate, mate just ironing iron, iron his shirt when he's got it on. Nicky, if you're yeah, watching, by the way, so I, I just... He's the loveliest guy. And, <laughs> you, you know, he's telling you this, laughing at himself. <laughs> and you think, this isn't true. And then, you know, it really is. Uh, yeah, it's outstanding. It's outstanding. 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 Um, outstanding. Carl, Donna Perry asked, uh, where do you think it all went wrong for Sheffield United this season? Uh, after they had a, such a strong season last year? Well, I think, you know, Chef U is one of the, the clubs that, that the, you know, every team is affected by the fans. You know, you don't you don't play away at Old Trafford and have an easy match. You know, when there's 70,000 there, you don't go and beat 11 players plus the 70 easy. Now, Chef U, those, that, that is an intimidating place to play, you know, if you're an individual who is affected by external noises, your performance, for me, it was brilliant because I loved the atmosphere. You know, it got me going and I performed much better in front of a big, passionate crowd like Blades than I, I did in a, you know, a, a, a Reading where they're not as vocal. You know, they're not as, as geared up for the, for the match. They're there to watch a game of football, whereas the Blades... You know, they're kicking every ball. They're screaming everything. Um, and I think that was a massive, massive loss for Chef U because you, you're taking away the intimidation and it then lets really good players just settle into the game. You know, I think there's a lot of players last season who've gone from championship clubs to the premiership clubs and they, they perform really well. You know, the Ollie Watkins, great player, but he's able to go from playing in front of 20,000 a week uh, where it's intimidating to playing away at Man U where there'd be 70,000 but he's not had to deal with the hostility and the, the pressure so I, I think that the crowds crowd missing has really affected football and teams like Sheffield where, where the fans are so passionate have really suffered you know mm. it was a fortress you go there I saw Liverpool play the year before with Henderson and he made one error but you know they looked they looked shocked you know they, they were rushed on the ball because the atmosphere was so hostile and you take that away from the blades 
and and it, it really it, it's a an easy a lot easier proposition I totally agree we, we've said this I in the show as well and I'll, I'll probably go one step further as well that when Sheffield United playing away um, that Chrissy Wilder just he, he thrived on shutting yeah. up supporters and, and, and his team was stubborn and they made sure that they did the job in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes where now they're so open because there's no pressure on players. Carl's just said it there, you know what I mean? The players are going into the game with no pressure. They're starting the game very well. Sheffield United are, are trying to stay in the game and all of a sudden they're 1-0 down, 2-0 down like, like they were on the weekend against uh, Crystal Palace and they're fighting the battle straight away. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm the same as Carl. I, I played at Bramall Lane and um, I was there for well, a good, good 12 games on loan and yeah, listen, when when... When the cop's there and when when it's a full crowd behind the goal, you, they can suck they can suck the ball in the goal. You know what I mean? I know, I know that we, you, you, people think we're over exaggerating, but there's certain grounds which have a uh, just a just a way of of generating an atmosphere. And that was mm. one of those stadiums that even yeah. when it's not full, people are intimidated to go and play there because the fans mm. get that noisy behind them. And it's it's not about the Steel City because that's what every time I've 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 been there, played against them, played for them. You know what I mean? Fans mm. demand you run through a brick wall. You know what I mean? I know every, yeah. every player should that do that. That was one of the reasons I signed. Uh, uh, you know, there's a few grounds. Stadium, I played in the, the first match at the Stadium of Light and I was playing for Reading and the noise was incredible. The fans were so passionate and... You didn't. You didn't actually stop jogging for a minute because it was so. You know, it was so charged, and that's what Bramall Lane was like. And you know, I. I just. I think the football, the fans, and the players. The players are really going to start clapping those fans a lot more before the match because I think we appreciate how important they are to our game. I totally agree. But then, Carl, I'm going to. I'm going to throw a question at you then as well. So we, me and Sai had this debate or a question answer. Um, about somebody like Greenwood, for example, so how how well he's done? So he's he's done well this season with zero pressure. He's not had the the, the crowd when he's made a mistake. He's he's not had the, the crowd noise when he's made when he's when he's missed a chance, for example. So how will players respond to the negative side of it? So will will some players crumble under the pressure as well as some people thriving off it as well? Well, of course, you know, but you you have to be a, a sports psychologist to find out. You know, that's half of the the bit of football. A person can have incredible, incredible um, attributes with the ball. We we had a guy at Sheffield United called Lawrence Tens Hoyville, striker from Holland. The most incredible technique you've seen in training. He embarrassed us all. Put him in front of the Blades fans. He, he he went into a shell. But you can't you can't tell that when you're looking at him in in Dutch league where he's playing in front of five thousand and six thousand. The Greenwoods. You'd expect a person, an attacking player, to really thrive in front of 70... You know, people cheering you when you go past someone. You want the ball again as quick as possible to do it again. You know, so I think we'll see the attacking players will be much more positive with the fan. That's what, how I feel because yeah. they want the, the, the cheers and the acclaim. Um, but as you say, on the flip side... When, when there's no fans there, when you actually try and go past someone and fail, you don't get the negativity of the size. You know, when you, you can feel the air sucked out when you've tried yeah. a shot and it's not. So that's, but that's, that's why we love football. Well, I love football mm -hmm. for going to the ground and you experience the noise and the atmosphere. Not to, to necessarily see 30 great passes technically done brilliant. I want to see the, the thrust and the excitement of it all. 
you think we'll see? Um, do you think we'll see a difference in the way that fans are with players as well? Then, Carl, you know what I mean? Because uh, they've missed the, they've missed the games just as much, and you know what I mean. We, we've spoke to a few on here. We had a, we had a fan show, and we spoke about um, sometimes about being negative all the time about, about about your frustrations that you work all week and you take frustrations out in football because you're passionate about your team. But sometimes fans can go a little bit too far, and and and. I feel as though fans are going to be really positive. I feel as though they're going, to, they're going to turn up. I feel as though they're going to support and run through a brick wall for the players as well. So I yeah. think the players are going to, the players are going to benefit. The clubs are going to benefit because fans are going to come and they're going to spend the money and they're going to put the money back into the clubs. And I think it'll be much um, more. I think it'll, yeah. I think it'll be great. I think the atmospheres are going to be absolutely they're, amazing once fans are coming. They're back. going to be more positive for their own team and they're going to be even more negative for the away opposing team because they know, they now know that everyone's telling you. The players are telling you. We missed the fans. Oh, it was easy going to Man Man City playing away when you know there's no no fans screaming at you. So the Man City fans are going to be screaming at you, the opposing teams. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah. A lot yeah. of red cards. There'll yeah, be a lot of what, red cards because people totally are going to be agree. intimidated to do rash things. I totally agree, and that and, and just that someone like and I'll, and I'll pick him out, Phil Forden. You know what I mean, Phil Forden. You know what I mean that. Scoring a goal, you know what I mean. He's had such a good season. You know what I mean. That that, that the next time he scores at at the City of Manchester Stadium, for example, you know what I mean. The score in front of fifty thousand, he'll be amazing. Same as Greenwood, same as Cavani. You know, yeah, you can go Cavani's on. Cavani's you know, played the, like about, a year for United, and he's never he's never played in front of fans at all. I know, I know. Which I know, is but mad, the fans are gonna, but the fans are gonna love him though. You know, so it's, yeah, it's, of course, it's gonna be fantastic. Um, Carl, I've got a, I've got a personal question. Um, I've been sent it through um, through one of our. Uh, messenger site so it's from uh, it's a family joke so I'm going to I'm going to read it out so it's from someone called Jill Whelan and oh, she has God. asked uh, <laughs> oh God right so could you ask Carl how the oak trees are in Borough it's a family joke from his family in Middlesbrough okay this is that's my cousin Jill uh, husband Mark Mark Whelan he um, he's a scourge of the family you know I made <laughs> I made a pact you know, I said look I'm going to be nice they, we, we had a family wedding out in France and they destroyed me. And Mark said he was the oak tree and he started, you know, because he didn't fall, whereas I was like Bambi everywhere. <laughs> and he was singing the entire yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. So, yeah, great. Well done, like Billy. It. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carl, all I can do is just say, if, Jill, if you want to get any more questions, please send them in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Gavin asked earlier on, Carl, uh, he said, um, how did you get into football? And also, do you have any other family members within the game? Um, well, I, I was playing when I was 15. I was doing OK. Um, and, I, you know, as it's been throughout my career, I, I pick up injuries um, and I lost I lost focus on my education. And my dad, you know, I got selected for England schools. I got injured the, the week before and I, I couldn't go and play against Scotland and I was devastated. I ended up failing my GCSEs and my dad stopped me playing football because that's it. Two years, you get your A-levels, go go to university. Then once you've got the bit of paper, you do what you like. But I'm not having, because, you know, we live for football. If I got injured and I couldn't play, you know, my whole world was turned upside down. So he just stopped it. Um and I was lucky I, when I was at university, I was allowed to play non-league. Um, I was playing for Dulwich Hamlet. Uh, scored a few goals in 12, I think I played 12 games for Dulwich Hamlet towards the end of the season. I got offered a trial at Crystal Palace or a contract at, at Brentford. 
Uh, it was a tough one because, you know, I was a season ticket holder at Palace and, I, you know, it would have been my dream. But you, I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to wake up each morning and go and kick a ball as my job and improve. So, you know, for very, very little money, it wasn't about the money. I signed for Brentford and it was the best thing I've ever done. Just listen to that story though, Carl. It's, it's, it's like a breath of fresh air and it's, 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 it's amazing that you, you know what I mean, that you, you see a lot of players, I know a lot of players who are semi-professional footballers who have got so much ability. Um, they get an opportunity to get in professional football and they don't take that opportunity. And I've said, listen, it's such a short career. It's such a short window and an opportunity to go and give it a go. You know what I mean? You can, for me, you can always fall back on that opportunity. You can always fall back on the qualifications that you've earned. Um, you know what I mean? Because no one will ever no one will ever hold it against you for giving it a go as a professional footballer. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas if you don't, the regret is is, is going to be oh, it's such, not, such no, a regret. You know, I, I was never a, a great technical player, but I had so many friends around me who, were, when I was 15 and 6, were far better than me. And to think if they would have had the chance to be professional, they would have taken it. Because a lot of them, they decided, well, you know, we can earn more money doing this. You know, I want to I wanna go out at the weekend. I want to do... They, you know, how good they could have be, become training day in, day out and their fitness. You know, my, the first couple of weeks or months of me being a professional footballer, I, my body was shot. You know, I was a fit boy as it was, you know, semi-pro yeah. as a 21-year-old. I was fit. I was training in the morning with, with um, Brentford. I was going home. I was at home at half one, completely gone. I'd wake up at five because your body, your body wasn't ready for it and you become yeah. so much fitter. These players, they could have, you know, it would have been exciting to see what they would have become. Hmm. No, listen, I, I totally agree and I, and, and, and I keep on reminding people of that opportunity and, and you've got to, you've got to give yourself that, that, that chance to be successful, you know what I mean? Because you just, you just don't know the opportunity that you could turn down, you know, that there's, 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 there's bigger than the UK, you know what I mean? There's, there's clubs in, in Scandinavia, there's clubs in Scotland, there's clubs in Wales, you know what I mean? There's people who, you can play in the Champions League in in in, in Welsh in in the Welsh League, for example. There's loads of opportunities at different levels, which people, for me, just need to explore and and, and see what they, see what's out there because there's a big world in football. You know what I mean? And some of the memories you can make is you know, listen, you know what I mean? And, and like you just said, there, it's not about money. You know what I mean? That that if the money and you get an opportunity to get a big contract, listen, take it. I'm not saying don't take it. What I'm saying is you play football because of the love and the enjoyment and and just how fun it is. It's amazing. Mm. Those chances abroad, I think, are, um, are more accessible than ever as well, aren't they? Like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of British players going abroad when they're, you know, hitting 18. They're not maybe getting the first team opportunities in the Premier League or the Championship, and they're going elsewhere, Germany mm -hmm. or Italy or Spain. Like, you look at Jaden Sancho, couldn't get in the Man City side. Mm -hmm. He's going to go in the summer for at the very least sort of 70, 80 million. He's completely kickstarted his career by gambling on himself and gambling that instead of staying at Man City and maybe getting an, the odd game here and there, I'm going to go and play for Borussia Dortmund, play Champions League football, play in the Bundesliga, and I'm going to play week in, week out and show everyone what I can do. Yeah, but that's because of the, the, the infrastructure in the UK. That's because of the money that the Premier, you know, everyone who moans that there's no money, grassroots, there's no... Because our football, you know, our football academies now are producing incredible players that are better than first-team adults in other countries. You know, yeah. the, the opportunities overseas were not as prevalent for me 
and for Andy because, you know, we didn't have the facilities. We weren't all technically brilliant because we didn't have the coaches. We weren't able to have the technical ability of the Ducks. You know, but now our youngsters, because of the money in English football, we, we've got the best facilities. So we're making great players that we may not see now, you know, but they're, they're able to go and succeed abroad. So, you know, I think there's there's a lot of thanks that should be given to the money that comes into the into these clubs that enable the, the English players and the British kids to be better than the, the foreign, like, you know, the foreign 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and take their jobs. You know, if you look at it that way, our players are going to play in these national leagues and their national teams will suffer the way our, our national team used to suffer. So we're yeah. really lucky. No, I totally, I totally agree. And it's, it's, you go back to our day, you know what I mean? We didn't have, we didn't have big squads. You know what I mean? You talk about now Premier League, Premier League squads having, having 25-man play, 25-man squads. We, we were lucky if you had 22 men in, involved in the squad, you know what I mean, at the start of the season. So, and that was including some youth, youth team players as well. So, it, you always knew you were going to get an opportunity if that was in the first game of the season. Did any of your youth team players game. from Borough, any of your youth team players from Borough ever go and sign for Stuttgart? In their first team, did they go from the youth team? Our infrastructure now is incredible. Yeah. You know, we're really lucky. Yeah. Did yeah, you so ever get a, a move or get offered a move abroad anywhere? Andy, I got offered. Yeah. I got offered. I got. Yeah, I, I, it was an opportunity when I left Cardiff to. Um, it was Den Haag in uh, in, in Holland. Uh, there was uh, there was an opportunity to go there, but uh, for a six month contract to finish the season off because obviously I was. I was told that I was I was not needed at Cardiff, and then uh, and then obviously Dunfermline came in in Scotland, and because my my young family and I was I was I wanted to base myself back up north. Um, it was a it was it was a no brainer really. It was it was down to a family decision. It wasn't uh, it wasn't yeah. a football one, and I, I, I would never say I've got any regrets in football, but I would have liked to probably see what what the world had. You know what I mean to see if the, yeah. the, the football because. It was a little bit slower in Holland. I'd seen videos. Uh, I, I went over to speak to them and, and watch the training. It did look a little bit technical, but probably scared me a little bit because Carl just said there that we weren't technical as good as they were. You know what I mean? That yes, we had our attributes and we were good at what we did, but they just used to keep the ball. You know what I mean? That that, that the way that I played, it was more balls over the top and stuff and um, and things and getting the ball wide and using my, using my pace. But listen, I would I would if I could turn the clock clock back, would I, would, I, would, I do, would I do it different? I'd probably say no because I ended up playing in the cup final in, in, in the six months I was at Dunfermline as well. So I was I was quite content and happy that that things happen for a reason. You make the decisions, you live and die by those those decisions and football's great but that you get those opportunities and I'd, I would have probably regretted more if I didn't have those two opportunities that, you know what I mean, I'm glad that people give you those, give you those chances sometimes. What about you, Carl? Did you ever get uh, any offers to go abroad anywhere? No, countries didn't even let me holiday in. Over, over, <laughs> didn't want to pay me to play there. No, I think a couple of the residents where I lived in Sheffield when I came out, they tried to get me deported, but um, that's, that's about the extent. You know, Nigel and Ben, a few dodgy stories trying to get me out. Will asks you, um, Carl, he says, um. Why did you have so many moves? Um, surprised clubs let you go with the scoring record that you had? Um, I got injured a lot and there were better players. I went to certain clubs. Reading um, was a bad time for the club and for me. You know, it was a wrong club at the wrong time um, for my career. You know, I was young. I was a record signing, but I wasn't really what they needed. They needed an experienced person 
and then a real overhaul. I, I was just making the problem worse, really. Um, but other clubs, uh, I spent three years at most of the clubs, three years at Brentford, three years at Dillingham. It was part of a, a like a plan. You know, Stoke was to settle down and then they were going to kick on. So once there was stability at Stoke, you know, it was time for me to go for them to build on better strikers. So uh, I was like a glorified, you know, a, a journeyman. I was I was always a, to fit a hole. I wasn't the final, you know, the, the ultimate piece of the jigsaw. I was stepping stone to the ultimate piece. You always had a, you know, you've got a phenomenal uh, scoring record. So it's kind of in... It's interesting to me that, like, you did get so many moves. But then, well, equally, there's another way to look at that, is that a lot of clubs wanted you to play football for them as well. Um, with the Reading one, I know a few people have asked, or a couple of people asked throughout uh, a bit earlier on. I can't remember who it was, so I'm sorry about that. But they asked about when you're a record sign-in for a club, does that bring more pressure to hit the ground running or to, you know, to score goals or whatever it may be? Not really. I, I did. I hit the ground running. You know, it was it was fine. It, it was going well. It was just the club had bigger problems. I'd I'd been in football to play football. I never knew about earning enough money to to sort of look after your future. At Reading, there were people on a lot of money, and they were trying to extend keeping themselves earning a lot of money. So they wanted to look good on the pitch. Happy for it to be someone that Give the ball to him so it's his problem. Not give the ball to him to score. No, no. They just wanted to not be the problem, not be the focal point. That's how I felt. Um, whereas at Brentford, everybody was in it. You know, you mm -hmm. did everything you could for your teammates because you wanted to win and you succeed by the team winning. Reading was my real introduction to professional, well, professional careers where people just wanted another two years earning a lot of money. Well, that's where it doesn't make it, it doesn't make a successful group team. You know what I mean? Having it's individuals is, is, yeah, is, it's, it's just a bad With way to, uh, to run a football And they're lovely yeah, lads. Such a shame. You know, yeah. there's some great players, people who went on to have incredible careers, you know, Linvoy Primus. You, you have great players there. Yeah, yeah. But if it's not a team ethic, if it's about, well, when the ball comes to me, I'm going to look good or I'm not going to look bad, which was most of the thing. That let, oh, he's done worse than me. Oh, he's me. You know, the, the bit that got me the most was if I'd shoot and it didn't go in, there was teammates making like gesticulations to, to get the home fans against me to distract from them being part of the team that were playing crap. You know, let, let's let's all have a go at him. So I've got a chance of not getting there. You know, it was horrible. Rob is no, Rob is baying for you to name and shame. There's <laughs> people who didn't last very long. And like Tommy Burns was a great man. A mm. really, really, you know, it, it was him who told me he was going to sell me because I was the person I can get money for. Um, but he knew, he knew there was there was some horrible elements in that club. Um, and it, it was unfair. You know, you had a, a manager, Terry Bullivant. It was his first managerial post. And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine him of actually getting a worse 
team of individuals to to have his first job with because yeah. I've bet some incredible players. You know, even that Ray Houghton was there. I love Ray. You had, you had yeah. some great people. But if you've got a team of people who aren't pulling in the same direction, it, it is, it's impossible. And that's what they had. You had a great chairman. John Matejski is a great chairman. You had the facilities. You had coaches. Alan Pardew, Brendan Rodgers. Everyone was there. I'm grateful. You know, Alan Pardew is one of my close friends. I, I, the man's been incredible to me. He was there. And it was just, it, we used to talk about how, he, and he knew that's why he made such a success of his role in Chef, in Reading, because he knew what people weren't shouldn't shouldn't be there and who to get in. You know, it, it was a tough, tough old place. Mm. Which is not nice to hear, si, You know, I mean, everyone no, has brutal. everyone has the struggles and things, and 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 your honesty, Carl, is is absolutely superb. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it on full circle now, so I'm gonna look at the positive. And obviously, we've had a few guests who've had some really good times at football clubs and this one special club in particular to people seems to be Gillingham and um, my question to you is what is so special about it because everybody who seems to play for Gillingham seems to have no bad word to say about the area no bad say about the football club um, the owners the chairman the players um, the managers are in place at the time what's so special about it? It's you know when you were 14 and you played for your local club and it was yeah. all it's that mentality. It's they're proud of that club, whether they're in the conference, in championship. That's their club, and they rally there together, and they they they're there to support those players because all those fans would want to be in one of those shirts. And the fact that you're in it means you're you've got the chance ahead of them, so they respect that you're going to do a better job than they can. I don't know if that makes sense, but. They only want their team to win. They'd like to be in the shirt themselves and to win. Yeah. But if you're in the shirt, they want you to do your best. And they, they just fully support you. And I said, there's some goals I scored at, at the Priestfield. I wouldn't try those shots uh, in training because I didn't have the belief in myself. They had the belief in me. You know, I, I doing. You know, there's a goal I scored against Luton. I slid in way outside the box in the rain. I got up in one step and I banged the ball in from the touchline at an angle in pouring rain. It bounced and went in. I could not even slide and get up in real life. <laughs> away from those fans, me sliding and getting up in one movement could not happen ever. But in front of those fans where they gave you belief in yourself, I could do anything. And it's just a lovely place from the, the, the kit man, the groundsman, everybody was wonderful we used to wait you know after the match it was only a small ground mm. fans would stay and talk to my mum at the car you know our, our our parents used to interact with the fan and the fans are lovely i found out that there was a dog you know i'm really proud of this a dog called saba you know it was game it had a proper <laughs> dunk. but someone named their dog after me and i you know it's just so lovely do you know what, Carl? Just just listen to you reminisce about good times at a club, and that's always what what's made things special for me about clubs. You know, what I mean, you have good clubs, you have bad clubs, but the clubs what, what are really special are the ones what make your family feel welcome, the ones which go the extra mile and talk to you. You know, what I mean, I fell in love with Cardiff because of how special the people were with me, my family. Um, you know what I mean? But not everyone's felt that way about Cardiff City, by the way. You know what I mean? There's people who I played with who, who didn't give me the 
um, that feeling when they left and they, they, they told me about their experiences. So you, I made that decision myself and it was the best decision I made because same as when I played for Halifax Town, Middles was different because that's where I, I live and I grew up there. So I was always going to have that affiliation with the football mm. club because I supported them as a boy. But when you have that love for a club because of the way that you were trapped, your family was trapped, you know what I mean? How they made you feel as a player, how special you still feel as, to, to this day. Is, Do you not think their fans were like great. that with you because of how you performed on the pitch? Yeah, well, yeah. That, that, and that, well, that's how, it, that's how it begins, you know, that, you know what I mean? Everyone yeah. goes on about that with that one goal, but, you know what I mean? They, they, they loved me before that game, you know what I mean? So that goal yeah. just is, is just penciled well, in. Well, I have that here was, in so Sheffield. That. Uh, the fans and the, the, the people of Sheffield are so incredible to me. But, you know, if you look at the strikers who came after me, the Beatties, the Ashley Wards, the Akinbais, they didn't have the as much, you know, they're better players. They went on, you know, Addy scored an insane goal away at Hillsborough for, for the Blades. But the, the fans just, they're so lovely to me. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think... You're just so lucky that if you do connect with fans and fans actually, you know, at Stoke, at Stoke, I missed maybe five or six of the easiest. I think it was Rotherham or Doncaster at home. Everybody, anyone could have scored, you know. But oh, I was almost going to get myself in trouble with you. But, you, you, <laughs> but, you know, anyone could have scored these chances, but I missed and I missed and I missed and it got comical. And... They, the fans named me, you know, man of the match for that match. Just because of the sheer effort and just, they knew I was trying, you know. Yeah. It, it, and I think it frustrates fans when you see someone who has got it all and they don't, they don't apply themselves. Whereas with myself, I think they always appreciated, well, he's not the best. He's not this. He, you know, he's six foot two and he jumps four foot high, you know, but. Sounds like me. Yeah, he gives everything. <laughs> and I just think, you know, a lot of it is down to your own application. Fans aren't mm. stupid. Yeah. And, they, you know, they appreciate people who try for the shirt. Mm. And Gillingham fans, Stoke fans, they, they, all, they all appreciated me. But the thing about football fans, Carl, is, is that is the honest, genuine people who... who who like to spend their hard-earned money on people who run about and who can relate to. And, you know what I mean? I don't think footballers now are relatable. You know what I mean? That they don't talk to fans after games because they get they get, they get their cars parked for them in a car park where, play, where fans can't get to them. And there's no, there's no, there's no atmosphere and no camaraderie between players and fans anymore. You know, and I find that such a shame because when players aren't players anymore, how are they going to be relatable to fans? You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're not you're not anything special anymore. When you when you stop being a player, that minute you stop being a player. You, 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 I'm not saying you're a nobody, but you know what I mean. You've got to then put yourself in the big, real, wide world and, and civilians. And, yeah, mm. and and I think players need to understand that that one day they won't be as special as what they're and the pedestal they're on now. Just just to understand that. You know what I mean? They'll be a football fan, and their children will be football fans. And how will they feel one day if their kids want to? talk to a, a player and he's not approachable because of the, the same reason just be just be a just be a normal person because being a, just a genuine nice person goes a, goes a long yeah. way Carl one game in particular we talked about uh, uh, Gillingham one game in particular um, Nicky went on about it other players have gone on about it it's, it's one of the most famous playoff finals I've ever ever watched it was hmm. uh, such a a great game for me personally to watch it was an amazing game um, I remember we talk about the and Sunderland game we can yeah, talk about that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Clive. Clive's a Clive's a Clive's a Northeast boy as well, isn't he? Clive's 
Clive's yeah, yeah. a middle, middle of that. Um, obviously, you played in one of the, the, the infamous one, Man City against Gillingham. Tell us about that because I think from, obviously, from your point of view, I think you were tuning up, you came off. And how, how did it feel for you being helpless? You know what I mean? So it was obviously different for you as well. So tell us about your feelings, your, your remembrance of it. Well, of course, it was. We couldn't have asked for any more. We messed up. Um, we, we, we we should have actually got automatic promotion. We we had a little bad run, and then we ended up in the playoffs. And the pressure wasn't on us. It was on Man. You know, it's Man City. Yeah. It was going to be a sellout. I played at Wembley before, and you know, I knew what to expect. Of course, I didn't know what to expect because you you're in a police convoy this time because you you're playing Man City. And it was the best for, for me to play in, in rain was the best for me. I, I didn't like playing in the sun. Everything was set. It was raining. Just picking up, just, just picking up on something you just said there, Carl. You said like about police escorts. You said so. How did it feel different then? Did it feel different than, yeah. than the previous time? This, yeah. this was this was a this was as big as it came. You you didn't feel like you were you, Carl and Bob and Ash and Smudge from Gillingham. This you felt, oh Christ, we're actually, you know, are we 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 stars here, are we yeah. we're the main event, and it was really okay. This really is, it's very very everyone's watching. Um, but I think we actually we he called us the Eggers, Hugh, because we were just egg, you know, we we had nothing flash about us. We just had a go, and it suited us to the ground. That roll up our sleeves. We've got nothing to lose. These have got everything to lose, and. It was the perfect day. They missed some chances. They hit the post. And the longer it went on, you felt, well, Bob's got a goal in him. I've got a goal in him. Ash has got a goal. You know, we, we felt we could get it. And then we scored two goals. Bob's goal was mm. just insane. <laughs> it was, yeah. Um, mm. and, I, and I came because I, I'd been carrying uh, an injury and I knew I was going to have operation and I was in a bad way. So Pew taking me off at the end wasn't really... You know, he got a lot of stick for that. Why didn't you keep? I was, I was in bits. You know, I was coughing blood. I was bad. But I, I am, I'm a massive car, proper car freak. I love my cars. And underneath my inner soul, I had a picture of this car that if we got, if we got promotion, I was gonna get this car. And Andy Morrison, um, I really got on well with Jock. He was a honest, good, good lad. Kicked me all over the park throughout the season, I've, you know, a lot of run-ins. I'm holding up this picture of this car from underneath my bloody inner soul and waving it to him at the uh, on the bench, saying, I'm going to take you for a drive in this <laughs> next <laughs> No chance we were going to lose this match. And when they scored, you know, I couldn't... It, this, it doesn't happen. This doesn't... It can't happen. It's our day. They've, their fans have gone. Look, just blow the whistle. The fans have given up. Just... And when, when that... That equaliser went in. It was the worst, worst moment. Uh, just for everybody from Gillingham was there. My family, every, it was our day and they, they robbed it. You know, they were better players. You know, their team was much better than our team. But we deserved that. And it was just the poor boys. I felt sorry for the lads who took the penalties because I was off the pit. I would have taken the yeah. penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're asking people who aren't always, you know, taking penalties or are used to goal opportunities to do a job that you should be doing. And I felt really sad that I couldn't 
take a penalty and those lads will live with those penalty misses and yes. and blame themselves when it wasn't you know they were they were absolute stars to actually pick the ball up because have you have you done that Andy have you picked the ball up and walked? yeah I I miss my fair share I miss my fair share in some big games oh, that's, it's, it's, that's it's one awful. hell of a feeling you know mm-hmm. jelly legs I've never you know I've, I've, I've never missed a penalty in a match uh, before but Picking a ball up and walking. I missed one for Reading in a in a cup competition in a shootout. Completely different kettle kettle of fish, you know, to having a penalty in the six yard box and just putting the ball out. Walking from the halfway line is the longest walk, yeah, and those lads had to do it. So, it, it I um, sorry, Carl. I I shouldn't interrupt you, mate. This you two former professional footballers talk about penalties and stuff. I uh, I only <laughs> ever missed one one penalty in a in a competitive football match. I was making my debut in a cup semi final for um, Highcroft in Cardiff. Only like a like a Cardiff combinations league side. And Were you um, I wasn't because I was I had played well in the game. It was a penalty shootout. I'd ne- I'd taken quite a lot of penalties before, and I'd never missed. So I literally in my first game, some of these people had never met me before, and I kind of was doing like some keepy ups as I walked from the halfway line. <laughs> nothing confident. in my head, nothing in my head where I was going to miss this penalty, and I missed it. And oh. yeah, I, I retired from football straight after that. Listen, I I, uh, uh, I, I, I remember I remember uh, when Cardiff obviously Cardiff's. Um, History with Leeds United at Ninian Park. Um, I missed. I missed the worst penalty ever. Neil Sullivan just went too far. Put his cap on it. Um, it was the worst penalty I've ever taken. I, I didn't even want to take the penalty. My county, Neil. Neil Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, Neil, Neil, Neil's yeah, a top man. Yeah. Neil's a top man. But uh, to be honest, I, I do wish he. I do wish he just just caught it with both hands instead of making it look even look better than what it was. He dropped it in front of him and it made it look a little bit better than what it was. And <laughs> I, well, I blame my eldest daughter in a way because she was born. She was born the day before, and and I was so tired. It was just I wasn't mentally right to, to probably. To probably, but you know when you've got a bit of confidence, a bit of arrogance that you pick the ball up and you think, I'm just going to put it down. This is for her. I didn't think of anything else, and, and, and instead of putting my laces through it, I just decided to side foot it. And I must have told him where it was going to go because he's just everything was just, just went in slow motion, and it couldn't have been a worse game against a worse team at a worse time, due nil nil. And it was just so it's that time. Know if you blame her for that penalty miss. Is yeah, she, so that's her fault. Yeah, point? definitely. Yeah, that's her fault. Isn't it? Really? Everything's, everything's, everything's kids' fault, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it's just. But I, I just remember, don't you, that you. You feel as though you let people down, don't you? You know what I mean? That you, you you make the decision to try and step up for the team, but then you. I remember sitting in the change room and you, it, we do nil nil, and you, it's like a defeat. It's like my fault, and you're thinking you're just waiting for someone to say, "Don't worry, Cam's. It's all right. You, you, next one or something." And you just no one ever said it. <laughs> just, you just not yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, I never missed one in a, in a match. Only in that one <laughs> shootout, and we won the shootout. So I never had that feeling of, well. I missed a lot of chances in my career. I've had I've let a lot of people down a lot of times, but not from the spot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the joys of being a footballer, isn't it? You know what I mean? It'd be mm. boring, wouldn't it, if you weren't missing chances and getting yeah. slagged off on the radio and stuff. It'd be great. That's why, we, listen, we've talked about social media, side, haven't we, about, about things, and I'm so glad because things like that penalty miss, I, it hasn't even found its way on YouTube, which is great, you know what I mean? Because nobody can ever remind you of it, which is, which is fab. But then you don't get some some of the some of the good moments from your career, which uh, which you try to find and stuff. Which, you know what I mean? Sometimes you take the good with the bad, but even the bad memories are memories which other people would love. You know what I mean? Because you you managed to get that blue shirt on, you managed to 
run through a brick wall for that football club and have the have the feeling they're wearing and playing in a big game, which you know what I mean for me. Well, that's how the, did the you thing, find those, thing about doing those it. comments the other week about a rainy night away at Stoke? I found that some of the worst things I've ever heard because for me, I grew up wanting to play football any 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 ground under floodlights in the English league. And for someone to say, oh, we wanted to play Barcelona every week, uh, obviously you want to play away at Stoke. On a... I, I've never been so offended. Yeah. You know, mm. that's the worst comment I've ever heard in, in football, away from racism or horrible things about people's family, about actual sport. That's just dismissing all our hopes and dreams of being a child. Yeah. I've got two boys, they'd love to play football. And this man is saying he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't go to away at Stoke, like it's but, the end of the year. But it's 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 disrespectful. It's dis disrespectful of all areas, isn't it? You know that you know. I, I know we laugh and jokes about about obviously Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough got voted the second worst uh, town in in the world, well, in the country. But and Mark, well, might been, might Phil Whelan and Mark Whelan, remember Mark? <laughs> it's Mark their yeah, it would have been fault. much better without them. It's their fault. So if they if they weren't there, they might have gone on the list about to tenth or yeah, ninth. Easy, tenth. easy. Ah, there you go. That's their their fault. But I just find it so disrespectful, though, because Stoke always gets that comment and. We're not on about football, are we? We're on about areas now. You know what I mean? So, and I, I just, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? That the Burnleys, the Stokes, and those, the, 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 the areas and, and and the and the grounds which people don't find fashionable are places to go and play football. Don't slag areas off just because. You know what I mean? That Manchester has the worst weather in England. You know what I mean? Let's mm. be honest. But because they've got the two best grounds and the two best teams in the world or, or in England, mm. they don't get slagged off as much. But because Stoke gets a, a little bit of a of a ribbon because of the way and, and, and probably the way that Tony's had him playing. You know what I mean? That's not that's not being disrespectful. Be respectful for the team and the results that they had because you know, the games do There's only a handful of people in the country who could play to Tony, you know, for that. Yeah, I totally agree. With Peter Crouch, Michael, are you sure? Mm -hmm. I could never totally get agree. in that team. So he's actually telling the people like myself who've given all their life, I've had about 11 operations, mm -hmm. that... You know, I really don't care for anyone who's as crap as you. You know, and I'm I'm better. I was better than half of the people who played. How disgusting is that? I don't think we should we should have owners like that. You know, yeah. It's the game. There's enough money in the game. We don't need that sort of person. Oh, we had this, if they're uh, saying this... that in public, what are they saying in private, mate? Well, well, we, had the, we had this debate yeah. aside, didn't we? We had, the, we had this debate about owners on... Uh, we, I'm sure Cogs. we've had Monday's show. Um, start on, me, on the mate. Monday before, wasn't it? About um, a, way to get, a way to get owners from this country back involved so people know the system, people know the areas, people have a passion about here. Because run about... Listen, run about United, run about t owners who don't even enter this country. They don't care about the club. They don't care about the area. They don't care about the, the communities. You know what I mean? It's all about, it's all about the dollar. It's all about this. It's all about it's it's Wednesday. One of our biggest clubs in the country. When I was growing up, it was one of the biggest clubs in the country. And it's a disgrace. It should... The, the, the Premier League and the Football League should be in charge of finding the right owners. You know, that... They, they vet for what is it for embezzlement and for money laundering. Just check them out that they actually care. You know, yeah. there's, there's, there's people at Sheffield Wednesday who are going to lose their jobs. Parking attendants. You got people, admin staff. The, the people abroad who, who are worried about sacking Pulis and paying Pulis a million pounds. 
they don't care about the, the normal staff. But if we had proper vetting of the owners and tie them in to do certain obligations to the area and you've got to have a ground at a certain standard and you've got to employ this many local people, I just think it, it's, it's really losing its way. I totally agree. Absolutely. We've said the same things. It's 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 an absolute joke. It's a travesty though the way that the way that football's gone, you know what I mean? We talk and 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 and, and what I don't want people to do is people to think that, that because the money's not involved, it, it's jealousy. It's not a case of being jealous. I live the dream. I live my own dream and oh, more. Completely. I couldn't I couldn't have imagined my career being any better. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't play less games for more money. I would you know what I mean I, I, I represented the team that I always wanted to play for. Um, I left that team and, 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 and had an amazing life, met some amazing people. Um, and all of this, what I'm doing now on the show, meet, meeting people like you and doing and doing the show, and obviously meeting Cy was great. Um, and doing all this is because of the career what I had. And I would never change it for the world, you know what I mean? You look at people who, who give their opinions on, on Sky and on BT and on TalkSport and on, and on all these other platforms. Doesn't mean anything about apart from it's their own opinion. You know what I mean? That that, that Graham Sooners said some really strange comments last weekend at the at the game that got cancelled. You know what I mean? You see you see other pundits giving their opinion about their favourite favourite teams. It's good to watch Lazy because itself, it's, 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 it's yeah some of the, some of them are, but it's you know what I mean? The best ones are the, are the ones who have that. Um, they, have that, they, they bounce off each other. The Jamie Redknapps and the Michael Richards, the Jamie Carragher's and the Gavin mm. Nevilles. You know what I mean? The ones who we can who we can watch who, are, who don't really get on who who have. Yeah. A chalk and cheese. They're the ones that you want to hear. They're the ones that you want to see. And if it wasn't for those well, guys, Gary Neville's incredible. Oh, he's, he's, he's out, with, out of this world. Out of this world. So much sense. And he's biased, man. You, but he's yeah. He, he only wants the right stuff. You know, he, he's looking at it from the right perspective. He watches a match and he knows when someone's hiding from the ball. He knows everything. And he's one of the best pundits we've ever had. He's just brilliant. Yeah, no, totally agree. He's, um, totally and all those people, Andy, which you just mentioned, not like you're right completely about the, the the way they bounce off each other, the banter. But they also there's two things which really stand out. They regularly disagree, but they will always give their honest opinion, yeah. even if it goes against the rest of the people in the room, the pundits in the room, or because. When I say lazy punditry, like I know Jamie Carragher said something similar the other week. Like I can't stand when you've got a pundit on the radio or the TV or whatever, and they're asked for their opinion on subject X, whatever, or a subject, or even just the game they've watched, and they sit on the fence. That just bugs me. Like, just you're there to give analysis, or you're there to give an opinion, so give it. And it's just I find it incredibly frustrating. Um, no, it is. It is. It is. Um, obviously, we're going to finish off with some questions, Carl, from the from the live viewers. But I've got I've got one more question, and my question is: is your transition out of football? So, my biggest bugbear at the minute is is the the level of support from um, from the governing bodies, certain governing bodies uh, of, of the transition out of football for players. You know, what I mean, there's a lot of players with mental health problems. There's a lot of players who, unfortunately, commit suicide because of because uh, the, 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 if they're worried of there's things the, with, the, with the transition. How was your transition? And did you did you did you get any support from anybody? Uh, well, it was difficult for me in that I, I retired because of injury. You know, um, so. Football just stopped dead for me. Uh, I was offered yeah. six months at Leicester. And, you know, when you're offered six months, you know your time's up. And I didn't want to waste my time or their time and yeah. the stigma and the mental 
pain of being injured, it's horrible. And I thought, well, yeah. if they're offering me six months, they know I'm going to break down. I probably know I'm going to break down. Let's call it quits. But football is all I've ever wanted to do. From when I was a kid, I go out. What you have a bad day, you play football. You have a good day, you play football. Then you go through a career of everything was football to it ending through injury. So that's my outlet. If I have a bad day, I can't go out and play a football match because I would love to play Sunday football because playing on the park and scoring a goal, I, I play with my kids now and I try and score past my seven-year-old because I love scoring. And I found that really hard to deal with that my outlet has gone. Fans, they, their outlet is going to watch their team. And they love football. We all love football. Fans love it. Stewards love it. Refs love it. But my role in that love was to play. And I just wanted to play at whatever level uh, I would have enjoyed carrying on just to play on a Sunday. So that's where I found the transition hard. And the way I dealt with it was I completely cut it out of my life. I didn't go, I didn't watch a match for two or three years. I didn't speak to, about football. I was telling them, oh, I hate this, I hate that, because that's the only way I could cope by, oh, I don't need football. And I had to blank it out because it hurt me so much. That was my identity. So how good's Carl? How's Carl's standard of living? How's Carl as a person? It was judged as a footballer yeah. and it had gone. So it is a very hard transition. You're so lucky, you know, to play football, everything. But to then have it taken away, because it is going to go, it is very hard to come to terms with. And we've seen some incredible people like Gaza. Gaza was playing until whatever, because it, it's what you do. And, and I don't know if there's an easy way. I know we blame the PFA don't do this, they don't do that. The players should be able to adapt because they're earning all this money. I don't know if you can ever help. You, you can help them a little bit, but it's all that person because the mental side of not being able to do what you love is really really hard and and it, it, it's for me i then went into cars because i love cars and i was lucky to have a car bit and my contacts in football i was able to help them and it kept me a sort of you know i i, I knew and i kept in touch with the people who were close with but the, the transition is something that i think everybody is going to be different completely different for each person and personally it was very very hard for me um, and I miss it every day. I watch mm. my children's football and I just, I look on with envy because they're, they're the best times. Playing football with your mates, it, it doesn't get better than that. No, listen, I, t I totally agree. I can, I can, I can, I totally know what you're talking about. Um, that the, the feeling of one day you're a player, the next you're not, um, is just, it reminisces with me totally. And I just, it, it heartbreak, it's heartbreaking to, 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 you know, that, that, that people are going through that every day. Every, especially this time of the year, there's that kind of, you know what I mean? It might be a, a contract end. It might be a, uh, it might be that you're told you're not going to get another contract. It might be that you're, that you're, that you're just getting too old and you realise that you can't do it. Um, it might be injury. 
Uh, it might be something else, but it's just it's such a shame, you know. I know there's loads of support out now. There's clubs that support players, which is which is great. You know what I mean? The PFA. I'm probably going back in uh, in '96, '97 when I first came out. That I would have loved someone to to probably come to the club and just just, just tell just tell players what the options are. You know what I mean? When you're 18 year old, that that you might get released and you might um, you might never be a professional footballer again. That you That's might have to go and get a normal people. job. Yeah, and they're the people who you know. I've cried, you know. No, I've cried when I found out. You know, you used to have apprentices, yeah. and they're bright and bushy-tailed, and they get your boots, and they do. And then at eighteen, they, they get told, "That's it, you're done." Game over. And yeah. it's like that's more cruel than a thirty-four-year-old who's retiring at the end of a career, and you know, oh woe is me, I can't kick a ball. These young lads get an insight; they can see it firsthand, just how brilliant. It must be to play on that pitch. They're close. They're the ones who need the counselling. They're yeah. the ones who should get some form of re-education grants. Not not the players who you know almost were get, um, wasted all the money yeah, that yeah. they lost through the, their career who want a benevolence fund because they spent it all on going here and buying that. These young kids who are used by football clubs because they're only trying to get one or two to sell them for five million. Mm-hmm. They're the ones whose lives and hopes and dreams are shattered. My younger brother was part, you know, he came to Sheffield United with me. And when he didn't get kept on and he came to start and he didn't get, that's the saddest bit for me because yeah. that's all he wanted to do was to play. And they're the ones who then have to build a life doing something else that, you know, my my uncle doesn't know how good to be a footballer would be because he hasn't mm. seen the other side of the door. But my brother has, mm. and my apprentice has. They're the ones who I think need more help. Not not the thirty five year old. You know, we've got to get on with it. We're older, and we've had, we've mm. got money and resources and memories to look back on to get us through. These youngsters need more help than us. No, I totally, totally yeah. agree. And, Often and you know, those boys it, it, have been there from a young age as well, yeah. and they've been built up from, like, say, the age of six, told how good they are, and you know, when you when you get to the youth team, this is what you'll be doing, and 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 then when they get to sixteen, it's like, oh yeah, right. But then, but 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 then, Sai, you can. I blame this under twenty three league for this as well. You know what I mean? Because yeah. players and clubs keep players for even longer without playing a first team game. Players can get to twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three even without yeah. kicking a first team ball. Then all of a sudden they get released, and these guys won't be on mega money. These kind of lads, and all of a sudden they're not getting a, they're not getting a league one, league two, league a, a national league club because they haven't played a first team game. They're not haven't played men's yeah. football. They played non competitive football all their lives. So how on earth are they going to be ready to go into a into a competitive system? They're not. So clubs are failing people. Players are getting players are getting failed by by the system. You know what I mean? By clubs how, who need to run to re-educate them. What's exactly. then there's, got there's to re-educate these twenty-two-year-olds? Mm-hmm. Where the friends who have gone out to be solicitors and accountants uh, at the age of sixteen are way up the ladder. These these mm-hmm. young lads, you know, it, it must be just crushing. It's, it's, it's got to be heartbreaking because these guys have been to college. They've probably got a degree. You know what I mean? So they're five years behind everybody else. And how yeah. do you how do you, how you you can't catch five years up in, in education because you've got to do the time. You've got to do the yeah. two year course in college. You've got to do a three year degree. And then if you've got to do, you got then you want to top it up with other things. It's so oh, listen. It's it's dog eat dog. And you know what I mean? Clubs and you know what I mean. Listen, when I was a YTS, I went to college one day a week. It was a 
I think it was a BTEC qualification. It was great fun. I think everyone failed it because it, we just messed around. We just, it, it, but it wasn't taken seriously by anybody else who, who, who demanded it. You know, we didn't. If we if we turned up, we had fun. If we didn't turn up, we didn't get told off. If we failed it, we didn't get told off. We didn't get dropped for not doing not doing what we should. I think there's there's got to be things put in place which which stops that element of uh, players not doing it. You know what I mean? For me, every young player in the Premier League um, should do a online degree qualification or get put into it you know what I mean as a instead of getting a, a signing on fee for example they the club pays for for, for their qualification so already mm. they, 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 they're giving them something to fall back on if, they, if they're ever not a player and they've always got that piece of paper to fall back on and it would be a, an unbelievable system because for a club it's nothing it's peanuts they, they, they also get the link with the university or college or local 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 education well, surely there's, there's got to be a drop at each club for for 18 year olds you know uh, one in a hundred and fifty pounds a week or so to reintegrate them into into yeah. their next part instead of just yeah. or oh, you're done. Yeah. Well, someone someone might do a Carl. Someone might do a qualification in marketing. So there might be a an ex player who's played for the club for five years, and all of a sudden he's got a degree in marketing. He want to go and work for the club, and who's yeah. the better per, who's the best person to go and work? It's surely it's that boy because he's he knows the club inside out. He's got a passion for the club. He's got the qualifications, so he's all singing, all dancing. But clubs can't just give a job out to somebody who's unqualified and. Yeah, I think people are getting failed, and it's the players predominantly who are getting failed. We'll talk about players getting paid good money. Yes, they do get paid mm. good money when you're a top player, but yeah. not every footballer is on is a, is a million pound footballer. It's just not. Right. It's not Royal Rovers stuff, unfortunately. Hundred mm. um, percent. Okay, which this subject is a sad subject to finish on, um, but I apologise for that. But it kind of follows on a little bit from what we've just been talking about. Um, but just just before I make mention of it, um, no plugs or anything to end the show, guys. Uh, you know where to find us. Please do find us. Please spread the word. Um, a big thank you to Carl and Andy, of course. And um, I just wanted to pay tribute, really, to James Dean, uh, a 35-year-old ex-footballer. Uh, he played for Staley Bridge Celtic, Chorley, Halifax, Halifax Town. Uh, he went missing four days ago. Um, and unfortunately, uh, they found his uh, body... Uh, I think it was yesterday. Um, so big, you know, condolences uh, to everyone involved, his friends, his families, you know, the clubs that he's played for, his former teammates. I know there's been a big outpouring uh, of sadness, you know, about that. It's, a, it's a, just a... I know. I I, another, I, 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 knew, I knew I knew him um, okay. from, from Halifax days. and um, I met him. Obviously, I left Halifax and... And mm. he joined the the new the new regime at Halifax, and uh, okay. what a lovely what a lovely guy. Um, yeah. You know, what I mean, he was a he was a gentle giant, uh, big in stature, um, centre forward, scored loads of goals. Um, and then I, I I kept in touch um, with him when he signed for Chorley and when he signed for the clubs. And I think he went to Ashton United and uh, and things and and uh, a few clubs in the Manchester area. And yeah, listen, it's it's happening side too many too many times. One about. Uh, Run about that transition out of the game. Run about people not being able to to handle COVID, handle the, the the pressure of family, handle the pressure of life without football. And this is just another example that you know what I mean. The people, you know what I mean. There's loads of ex teammates and lads that I know uh, who who just asking people just they're there to help. You know what I mean. We our direct messages are open. Mine are my social media. Um, I, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, please do because if if we can help anybody and help people cope with things better, um, if that's private life, if that's family, if that's football, if that's just anybody who's 
who's struggling in, in things that I've had a, I've had a couple of conversations over the last couple of days with people who've been who, who come on this show um, who, who I help and I've helped this week and you know, I'll continue to do so because it's not a job it's not a chore I enjoy it because if people are reaching out to me then I'm doing something right you know what I mean I'm, and I'm saying the right things and if I'm saying the right things then I'll continue to do so because remotely they're helping me because life's not good for everybody you know what I mean I've gone through a lot in my in the last, in the last three years personally and um, there's people who are helping me and that, and, and, and I reach out to people. Um, so, you know, I mean, don't be embarrassed to, to reach out to somebody and, and ask for help because everybody needs it. Yeah, 100%, mate. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and guys, as ever, um, I always enjoy seeing uh, all you guys interact in the comments and stuff and supporting each other. That's something which I am very proud that we've built on the channel and the show. Um, but ultimately, until people really talk about stuff and help each other um that's how we're gonna make the change that's needed um carl thank you very much for your time mate really really appreciate it yeah honesty yeah carl yeah listen your honesty is absolutely amazing um hence why hence why you were so successful in your football career um love the way you talked about with with so much passion how how you dodged a few bullets along the way which is great um uh love just loved it love the show mate. it's been one of my one of my favourites, and I'm not just saying that because you're on it. It was absolutely amazing, and uh, please, my, please keep in touch. My cousin, my cousin Frankie Whelan, who's um, he's up Middlesbrough, he's in the under 18s and he's defying logic of having his parents. He's actually doing so well, despite his gene pool. You know, we're all so proud of you, Frankie. You just keep pushing. Keep going, Frankie, because I've, I've 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 seen you I've seen you play. Um, and I didn't know you were Carl's, uh, Carl's, Carl's family, so I will, uh, I will continue. Well, I'll watch again when I'm allowed, because um, I haven't seen you for 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 a while. But I will, uh, I'll continue to watch. Keep going. Thank you. Thank 100%. you. Cheers, guys. Spread the word, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Take care. Cheers, my mummy and daddy have been talking about life insurance. It sounds like something to protect my brother and me, but I don't really understand. Then my auntie Louise told mummy about bespoke financial teaside. She said they're a local company who helped her with her life insurance. Mummy got in touch and because they're based locally, a man called Darren was able to come to our house. He was really friendly. Darren stayed for a cup of tea and made it all really easy to understand. He said that life insurance will protect our home and family if anything bad were to happen. Like if mummy or daddy got sick, then we'd get enough money to take care of us and our house would be paid for so we wouldn't get taken away. After an hour, Darren said goodbye and Mummy and Daddy seemed a lot happier. Once it was all sorted, we could all relax and watch a film together as a family. I don't know why they didn't do it sooner. Podcast Network.